Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast is about crowd sizes, the Cavs' defense, or lack thereof, and the 7-3 and three Detroit Pistons, who have started their five-game homestand with two straight wins holding opponents to under 100 points. Ben, Sean, and I talk about the team's mentality defensively, what it would take to get Pistons fan to come to Little Caesars Arena, and who deserves the all-star love for the Pistons' hot start. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast, and the best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on iTunes. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And of course, you should follow DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome, everybody, to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm joined this week by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how you Pretty doing? Pretty good. And uh, this week, we're also joined by the, I guess, technically, be the editor-in-chief of Detroit Bad Boys, Sean Core. Sean, how you doing? I am great. How are you guys doing? We are, we are doing great. And the thing that makes us great is the Detroit Pistons being seven and three and second in the east personally i had them at five and five during this stretch they've held consecutive opponents to under 100 points andre jumman has been beastly the team is looking great ben what what are you most excited about when it comes to the detroit pistons Ooh, there's lots of good things right i think for me the thing i'm most excited about is Andre Drummond appears to be maturing in his game. And what I mean by that specifically is he's taken a little bit of a lesser role offensively, but he seems to have completely embraced that, right? I mean, he's still putting up a significant amount of points when he's going 14 for 16 from the line, obviously, but he seems to have gone away from that post-up that Steve Henson wrote about so much last year that was just tanking the offense. So for me, that Andre Drummond's maturity... The way he's approaching the game on offense, to me, is, is a really big deal, and it's the thing that stands out the most so far. Sean, what, what stands out the most to you so far? Is it that? Is it something else? I would say generally, and it's somewhat related to Drummond's play, is the ball movement is so much better this year. Even though Reggie Jackson likes to dribble the air out of the ball a little bit, there's so many more players involved in the offense. There's so many additional ball handlers, people that are on the team can actually hit a three, which just open things up. And you just see the sort of the cutting, the weaving, the pick and roll play. It's all playing out like you would hope and people are executing and the ball doesn't stop moving. I know that one of the big controversial things in the off season was that the Pistons traded Marcus Morris and didn't really have a replacement for him. But the thing I was looking forward to most with Morris not on the team was less reliance on his post-ups. And then as an added benefit, there is, as Ben said, just way less Drummond post-ups. So there's really nobody that kind of brings the offense to a halt by trying to ISO anybody. And the ball is just constantly moving. It really makes for a fun form of basketball 
basketball to watch, but it also is way more effective than they were last year. For me, I think it's this team's depth. This team is exactly how you think Stan Van Gundy envisioned it in his head. It's 10 deep, comes down even 12 deep with the likes of uh, Eric Moreland and Luke Kennard seeing time. They play at a pretty relatively slow pace, but they don't give up a lot of points. They never turn the ball over. They're shooting more free throws. They're holding their opponents to a lot of mid-range jumpers and not a lot of shots at the rim and not giving up a lot of three-pointers. So I think this is, for me, it's that we're finally seeing what Stan Van Gundy's vision for the team looks like after a really disappointing last year. Now, we're 7-3 and three now. There's no guarantee this continues. It's Sunday. We're recording this on Sunday, so the Pistons defeated the Sacramento Kings last night. Uh, they are in the middle of a five-game homestand. They have so far they've beaten the Milwaukee Bucks and the Sacramento Kings in that homestand. They've got Indiana Pacers, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Miami Heat left. Uh, Sean, how many games should the Pistons win uh, on this remaining homestand? I'm still going through some PTSD from previous years, so I can't make myself too confident. I would say if they go 500, I'm still not going to be deterred about what happened because funky things can happen all over the place who knows what the hell's going on with the pacers and the offense they're putting up i just i think it's so hard to figure out where the teams throughout the nba are this season that i can't get a good read on who the pistons are quote-unquote supposed to be and who they are supposed to lose to i'll take 500 and then reassess as we get more information about each team ben same question what do you what do you how many games should they win out of those three well, out of the three that are left, I mean, they're definitely better than the Hawks, right? Atlanta's bad, and Detroit is good. So let's say that they're going to win that one, although if there's a letdown game in the bunch, that might be it. But I don't know what to make of Indiana, like Sean said. I don't have a good read on them either. In Miami, to me, like, they, we talked about this in our preview of the season. They started the season, or they completed last year's season so hot, winning everything, and this year, you know, not, not quite as good, although I think Miami might be sort of a tricky matchup for us. We tend to struggle with young athletic wings, and they've got a, a couple of those that can put some points on the board. So, you know, taking the, the homestand as a whole, three and two, I can't believe I'm saying this, but would be a disappointment. I'd like to see them go four and one, and I think that's realistic. I, th- I think so, too. I'd like to see them go four and one as well. Atlanta, they should definitely beat Atlanta. Atlanta is not a good team. Miami and Indiana, I think Miami is a good team. They just haven't shown it. They've been hampered a little bit by Hassan Whiteside's injury. I watched the the last bit of their game against the Denver Nuggets this past weekend. They look uh, they look like a solid team. They just choked away that game horribly. No one wanted to win that game in the last three minutes. And Indiana, Indiana has looked great in my mind. Victor Lordipo and Demona Senna. Sabonis are are fitting together better than I think a lot of people imagined. And what strikes me is that they've been doing a lot of this without Miles Turner, who returned this weekend. But I'm curious to see if it continues for Indiana, but right now they're playing so well that I don't think it would be out of the question for the Pistons to lose that game. So yeah, I think they beat Atlanta and Miami and they lose to Indiana. And then they have a rough five of their next six games from the road, but they're also mostly against Eastern Conference teams. So during the next six or seven or so games we'll get a very good idea of what kind of team this Pistons team actually is moving forward 
I will say I'm a little disappointed with the with the crowds at the Little Caesars Arena during this homestand. We're still getting announced numbers in the 17,000s and a lot of a lot of red. It's very apparent that people are not seated in, in the lower bowl at Little Caesars Arena. Ben, what what do you think the the fans need to see out of the Pistons in order to come to the games? Well, yeah, I mean, fans follow winning and this team has won a handful of games this year, but last year they were a huge disappointment. So I think fans follow winning, and if 20, 30 games in, you know, there's still a handful of games over 500, then I think the community will, will rally to support them. But I also have not been there and seen a game, but it wouldn't surprise me for some of those more expensive seats in the lower bowl not to be filled yet, right? And and maybe the upper decks are a little bit more filled out. Although if you follow any of the beat writers on Twitter, you know, they've all commented at the the lack of attendance as well. Or at least to the lack of people in seats. Um, and I think maybe there's some attractions in the concourse that people are just familiarizing themselves with the new arena, right? The, the new facility. That wouldn't surprise me either. But it's got to be winning. They have to win consistently for 20 or 30 games. And if they do, the fans are going to show up. I, I, I hope so. I, I really do. But it definitely does not have the feel of a of a I've, I've been to the arena i went to the first game against the charlotte hornets it was a it was a really emotional game it was a really great time we had pretty good seats my stepdad and my father-in-law pointed out you know bob lanier and and everybody to me and that was really cool but i will say that it doesn't quite feel like a basketball arena on game day it's a really nice place to be, don't get me wrong, and there are a lot of different attractions to get to. We didn't get to see everything, but I'm curious to see how basketball fans react to the the Pistons being in a hockey arena. I believe a lot of the one of the beat writers called it. He described it as when uh, you move into your girlfriend's place and you bring some of your stuff, so it doesn't necessarily feel like it's not home, but it, it's your girlfriend's place with a lot of your stuff in it, rather than quote-unquote, our, our place. Sean, have you been down to Little Caesars Arena? What do you think it'll take for, for fans to come in? I have not been down there yet, and frankly, I, I really don't think this is a problem that's going to get solved, even at all this season. I think not only does it take winning, but I think it's going to take some sustained winning. I think there's a couple reasons for that. First, the area fans know what a team that's worth their time really looks like after that huge run that the Pistons had in the early thousands. And I think a byproduct of that is just fatigue sometimes. Like, you're ready to let go for a little bit. Now it's been eight years of letting go. But even two seasons ago when they won, you know, 44 games and they made the playoffs, they were still bottom four in NBA attendance. It's not like they're winning cured the apathy of the fan base so it's it's going to take more than winning this season to finally fill that place up but you know i think if you win 45 games this season and then you came out to the same seven and three start that the pistons did this year you'd see a lot more people buying in i think people are still just a little skeptical right now that's fair and i think that's i think that's understandable on the part of the fans but this team is winning right now and a big reason why they are winning is the play of Andre Drummond. Ben, you, you said earlier that you were just really excited about his energy and the force that he's bringing every night. What I'm really excited about is his free throw shooting. I'm really... He made 14 of 16 free throws against Milwaukee. He looked 
confident at the line. He's he's seeking out contact, which I think is a huge element of his game that wasn't present uh, before. And he's seeking out contact because he's not afraid to go to the free throw line. I think that's a really big development for him and his play in the future. Sean, you were looking up some free throw progression numbers for for Andre Drummond, and you know, is have you seen anything like this in NBA history? Well, I mean. When you're starting off as the worst free throw shooter in the history of basketball, a big improvement is going to be hard for anyone else to compete with. So if he sustained his current level of shooting, it would be by far the biggest improvement all time. I don't necessarily think it's going to stick to this level, but I th- even his misses look so much better than a lot of his previous makes in previous seasons. It just looks more fluid and comfortable and the ball hits the rim in a way that you don't see it just clanging off and shooting off to the side so i mean i'm buying into this as something that can be pretty sustainable i think we'll see a big improvement in his free throw percentage the closest equivalent i could find was chris weber spent several years in golden state and washington as a bad free throw shooter he sort of bottomed out in Sacramento in his uh, age 25 year in 98-99 as a 45% free throw shooter. The next year he hit 75% of his free throws. So that's about as close to anything like this I I can find, and it is very rare and very welcome. And the only other thing I would say is his last game against Sacramento was great. He got to the line a ton. But that was really the first time I saw him seeking contact, and I really hope that continues because if he's able to hit his free throws, there's so many instances where he could force a foul and get himself to the line, but he's got so many years of him training himself not to get to the free throw line and shying away from contact, and I really want to see a more aggressive Drummond try and and force the issue. Yeah, I think a lot of that, I think he was seeking out contact in the Milwaukee game. I don't think that was just poor defense on, on the side of the Bucks, but I, I'm, I'm definitely encouraged by that. Ben, are, you said you were more encouraged by Andre's energy on both sides of the floor. Are, are, you, are you more encouraged, encouraged by what he's showing offensively or what he's showing defensively? Offensively with the free throws or defensively you know, getting in passing lanes, playing for steals, getting blocks, things like that? Well, he's always been good in terms of steals, right? I mean, this is one of the things I've pointed out because I've I've kind of become the the Dre defender because he takes so much flack for his defense. So, I, I mean, stealing the basketball is something he has been good at for his entire career, and, and I think that's an important part of defense because it can lead to transition offense, obviously. But to me, it's it's more the approach offensively, right? Like he's he's only taking ten shots a game, which is down from a season ago and the season prior to that. And they're not force-feeding him in the post. His instincts, at least as I see it so far, is to dive to the basket. And I think that's going to be his most efficient and most productive type of offense. So instead of you know trying to set up shop seven feet from the basket on one of the blocks, you see him moving without the basketball and then recognizing if, if, if someone is getting to the basket off the dribble, his instinct is to sort of dive to the rim. And that sets him up for... An offensive rebound, it sets him up for a lob, or it sets him up for another drop-off and a shot attempt that way. And to me, the willingness to embrace that, I mean, that takes some maturity, right? I mean, there's there's obviously an intentional, schemed approach that has basically all but eliminated the Andre Drummond post-up, 
And I think a lot of guys would struggle with that. And he doesn't appear to have struggled with that at all. And he's just putting up fantastic numbers. His shooting percentage is way up. His rebounding is very good. I mean, he's one of the best on the planet anyways. But the shot attempts are down, and and I think that's really important. And like I said, it hasn't affected the way he approaches the game at all. If, If anything, he looks more engaged especially defensively, and I think that's to his credit. So I I would say, for lack of a better way of talking about it, to me it just looks like a real sense of maturity, embracing a slightly different role, and the whole team is better because of it. I think a large part of it is he does look more mature, but the way that Stan Van Gundy chose to replace the post-ups in the offense was to make him more of a facilitator at the elbows, a lot of dribble handoffs, a lot of, you'll see, you're seeing even more backdoor cuts by guys and Andre feeding those. And I think the opportunity to, to do that, which is something that's very different from anything that Andre's ever been asked to do, I think, on the professional level, is what appealed to him and kind of uh, appealed to his sense of vanity. Say, like, hey, Andre, we, we don't want you shooting at 15-footers, and we understand that you don't want to just dive to the rim every single time. Why, why don't we make you like a point, a point center, and that way that's how you'll be involved in our offense, and that's how you'll create offense for others, and I think, I think he appreciated that. One of the biggest beneficiaries, I think, of, of Andre facilitating at the elbows has been Avery Bradley, who, who's looked really good in his, in his 10 games for the Pistons. He's shooting over 40% from three, and he's really, he's really setting the tone defensively for the team, I think. Uh, Sean, do you think the, that the way that Avery is playing so far and combined with the, the way that the Pistons are winning so far, do you think that Avery Bradley is an all-star candidate? Um, wow, all-star candidate... I haven't looked at what other shooting guards are doing. I know that, in my mind, Avery Bradley's doing the kind of things that he was supposed to do when he was brought in. He's fit into his role in the system very well. If anything, I think he might be a little too uh, long, too happy. I wish that would lessen a little bit, but he is hitting it from the outside. He's great at cutting to the basket. He's always engaged. He's playing good defense. He's generating steals, and I think that kind of play is infectious. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of a lot of intense defense played. I think that can primarily be laid at the feet of Bradley and Stanley Johnson, and it's getting Reggie more engaged defensively. It's getting Andre more engaged defensively. So I've been particularly happy with Bradley's play, especially since, you know, it was the great debate of the offseason between what KCP had provided and what we could anticipate Avery Bradley would provide, and he's exactly delivering on the promise of some of his boosters from the offseason. I could see that. Well, I think of the I think of the really easy narrative you could build around an Avery Bradley all-star candidacy, right? Like, here's this guy, the Pistons traded for him in the offseason, and they got way better on defense, and they got more consistent on offense night to night, and they're a playoff team. So, this guy is the difference maker. He sets the tone. Yeah, I think some of that's going to go to Andre Drummond. I think he's kind of crowding into the, the narrative difference maker, fairly, I think, because... If Andre Drummond goes from a low 50s true shooting percentage to a high 50s, low 60s true shooting percentage, if he's hitting free throws, if he's blocking more shots, if he's getting more assists, people are going to look at him like an all-star again, and he's going to be the face of the turnaround, I think, even more than maybe Avery Bradley. Even if Avery 
maybe deserves it more. And then, of course, the person who won't get any credit would be Reggie Jackson, even if he continues his vastly improved play thanks to some good health. I mean, he's not a perfect player, but the guy can't seem to to catch any breaks as far as people getting back on his side. Some of the news this week that came out during the potential and then pretty much dead instantly Reggie Jackson for Eric Bledsoe trade, some of those those articles seem to gloss over entirely the fact that you know Reggie was hurt all of last year and that he'd been playing well to start this year. It, that that kind of permanence sticks in people's minds, especially when he played so poorly. And that, that's what people remember, I think, that he, he played really poorly last year and that he pouted his way out of OKC. And I, people... People don't like the fact yeah. that he pouted his way out of OKC, and that that sticks that sticks in their memories. Ben, do you think you think do you think Avery Bradley to rewind it back a little bit? Do you think Avery Bradley could make the All Star team this year? I would be shocked, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I, I think Sean mentioned the long two propensity. To me, his overall shooting numbers just aren't outstanding, even though his three. Prop- three-point shooting is fantastic because he takes these bad long twos. If he can eliminate those, I think he's going to be a better player for the Pistons. But he's already been good, right? Like, I don't miss KCP at all. And and I thought there would be times when I miss KCP, but I don't. I mean, Avery fills all of the same roles offensively, but he does them all a little bit better. And I, I would say he's at least as good of a defender, maybe, maybe even a little bit better. So, to me, no, I don't think he's an all-star. I think that would be pretty shocking to me. But really happy with Avery Bradley and you know if he can get away from the Marcus Morris role of those those long twos then I'm going to be even happier that's fair that's fair I will say one player I haven't been happy with so far and I think that my opinion is shared by a lot of Pistons fans is is John Luer Luer before he injured his ankle was functioning as the backup center and he he hadn't hit a three yet which is what he was brought in to be that that floor spacing stretch four and he he looked uncomfortable even taking threes he they were getting him shots from 15 feet and in and he still wasn't even making those and so now he's injured and we have Eric Moreland playing really well and we have Anthony Tolliver looking like a vital piece of the rotation uh, Ben do you think that when John Luer returns from his injury, do you think he, he still has a spot in this rotation? Well, I, I think a little bit depends on one's assessment of Moreland. I don't think Moreland is all that good. I think he doesn't hurt you, but he doesn't really do anything outstanding either. I mean, he's rebounding the ball really well, and he's not taking bad shots, and he's an adequate team defender. Like, that's how I describe Moreland. And I think that's fine. Like, I'm happy that's more than I thought he'd be, so I'm happy with that. He might be more well-suited than Lure for the backup five. Lure's a guy who's been so disappointing. I was so happy that we signed him, even if it was maybe a little bit more money than we would have thought about. He was actually one of the guys that I wanted the Pistons to go after that offseason. But everything has fallen apart for him in Detroit. And, I mean, obviously I think he'll get a shot, right? He's going to get an opportunity, but... He's not a better defender than Tolliver, and so far, anyway, Tolliver's been a, a much better shooter. So he'll get his shot, but he's going to have to perform well in order to beat out Tolliver for sure, and I'll be frankly shocked if that happens because I think Van Gundy really likes Tolliver, and I think there's really good reasons to like Tolliver, especially defensively. But, man, it, it, things just have not gone well for Lure, and to me that's a huge disappointment because I, I think he's got some skills that could be useful but things just haven't come together for him. Definitely, definitely. Sean, uh, do you think 
Lure should should play. Where do you think Lure should fit best if he does fit back back into the rotation as the backup five, as, as the backup power forward? Where do you see him when he comes back? Well, when you were talking about Point Drummond as a facilitator earlier, I was thinking to myself, the player who should be benefiting the most from that is John Lure, because he's sort of the best guy on the team to sort of negotiate his way into a gap in a passing lane and cutting to the basket. That's what he was so good at last year. Even if he couldn't hit a three, he could just find his way into a good position to to hit a basket or finish at the rim. And this year, there's just been almost literally nothing going right for him. He's been bad on offense. He's been bad on defense. So I don't know if when he's healthy again, he's going to get an immediate spot back in the rotation. I mean, certainly not above Tolliver and the Pistons' backup center position has been pretty woeful, whether it's Lure or Moreland. And if we're talking about between those two, I think that Van Gundy's probably going to defer a little bit to go more defense, so he's going to give Moreland a shot here. And if he plays adequately enough on defense, then I don't think Lure gets his spot in the rotation back. That's really surprising to me. I mean, not only because Lure was brought in to to be this guy who would be a solid part of the rotation, not only because Stan Van Gundy talked about him as a, a solid part of the rotation, like in the preseason and in training camp, but I, because I think we all had higher expectations for John than this for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, Sean. His off-ball movement and his his facilitation, I think. I do think it's going to be... It is a lot of confidence issue right now. I mean, we saw that at the tail end of last year. And then maybe now that he's just sort of not started off super well, he's just kind of mentally right back where he was for the last third of the previous season. Maybe if he just kind of sits for a little bit and can regroup the next time he gets a shot, it's kind of like that Reggie Bullock conundrum. Every time he gets a shot in the rotation, he struggles a little bit. Then he would actually, everything would start clicking and then, Bullock would happen to get injured maybe the next time Van Gundy goes to lure and gives him another shot in the rotation everything starts clicking again and if he can stay healthy I mean he's he's a good shooter he's a good enough rebounder he can play the backup five in a small ball lineup he's got a reason to to thrive in this rotation even without the three-pointer but it's just not coming together at all this season yeah and even if he was supposed to to fix that backup center role, so Stan's turned to instead of Boban. Sorry, Ben. He's turned to Eric Moreland. I tried not to mention Boban for. I had I had to I had to just jab him jab him a little bit. <laughs> but so I I liked the way Eric Moreland played against Milwaukee, especially in the first couple of minutes. He came in with a lot of energy, got you know five points and five rebounds immediately. Had that nice fluke layup over his head to end the first quarter. And then I thought he'd try and bring a lot of that again to the matchup in Sacramento, and he, he didn't really do that as much. I'm, I'm hopeful that Eric Moreland can can be, if nothing else, like a, a very good energy guy. Now, he's not this type of player, and I don't think he's as good as this person, but I think of what Jason Maxiel used to bring to this team with his, with his energy, and I think Eric Moreland can definitely do something like that. We already got Ben's take on Eric Moreland. Ben doesn't think Eric Moreland's very good, and I don't blame him for that. But, Sean, what do you what do you think of Eric Moreland? What can he provide? I think he plays hard and not smart. He's not had much experience, so maybe with more reps he starts to figure things out. But I think the reason that you don't see him be very effective overall is just 
he doesn't know where to be. He's just sort of this ball of energy that's trying to do a lot of different things. Sometimes it works out, but a lot of times it leaves the Pistons exposed on defense. But, like I said, he hasn't had much run. He's not gone against this kind of competition really before for long stretches. So it's not something he can't improve on. He's He shows some skill as a rebounder, as a shot blocker. He can at least pass the ball a little bit. So the kind of energy you're talking about can be really effective if he just kind of figures out more about the cerebral part of the game or just sort of figures out some more anticipation about where he needs to be or what he needs to prevent on defense. But I haven't been super impressed with the minutes he's played so far, though I do agree that his Milwaukee performance was really good. Yeah, and I mean, like just to put this really concretely, he is a very good defensive rebounder so far. I mean, his next to Andre Drummond, he's the best defensive rebounder the Pistons have had so far. So that's a good thing. And and I think he is an adequate team defender. I mean, he's gotten lost a few times, but he's been pretty he's been adequate. But his offense is terrible. I mean, here's one concrete number. His turnover percentage is 40 4 0. That you and I might be able to go out on the court and do that. I mean, that is just unforgivably bad. And to me, that's like if you're turning the ball over 40% of the time you have it, you don't belong in the NBA. So he's got to figure that out. And, you know, that may, might just be a fluke of a really small sample size. And most likely that does drop dramatically. But to me, like he should almost never shoot. And he really shouldn't turn the ball over even a, a fifth as much as he has so far if he wants to stay consistently a part of the rotation. And if he does all those things, like I'm okay with him as sort of your last option if you, you really need a, a big body who can also move laterally, right? Like, it, and the Pistons are winning with him. So, you know, I, it's not like I think he's bad. It's just that he's at best adequate. And there's a couple things he's doing that, just have to stop <laughs> otherwise he will end up being really bad i will say that oh sorry one, i was just gonna say i will say for him the the thing he provides that i think could be a long-term benefit is sort of like with avery bradley and stanley johnson there's just sort of a tone he sets when he's on the floor he kind of helps dictate a style of play that i think stan van gundy wants on the floor and i think Frankly, I think that's why Boban is not seeing the court at all, because it it lets the Pistons be way too slow, way too deliberate, and and still exposed on defense. And I think Stan's been pretty adamant about putting players on the floor that are really going to up the defensive intensity of the team. And I think, well, there's a lot of bad that comes with that with Moreland in this early going he at least is trying to be impactful on the defensive end, and he's running the floor constantly. Be impactful. That's the Tom Gora special. <laughs> win now and win later. See the, <laughs> see, the thing about defense to me, like a season ago, and this gets lost in the shuffle so much, a season ago the Pistons were 8th out of 30 in defensive rating, right? Like last year, offense was what killed the Pistons. This year, the offense is in the top 10 in terms of offensive rating, and they're just middle of the pack defensively. So, like, 
I, I wonder if Van Gundy looks at those numbers because as a coach, I think you do always have to harp defense because it's the easiest thing to neglect as a basketball player because you want you want to play offense. All of us do. But they've been way better than they have had any business being the past two and three seasons under Van Gundy. So, like, the decision to roll with Moreland to me is like, I mean, yeah, I know you want to emphasize defense, but you've been pretty darn good defensively. The problem has been putting the ball in the basket. And and I hope SVG sort of keeps that in his mind somewhere. Yeah, I think what we've talked about a lot so far with with the addition of Avery Bradley and with with Eric Moreland is that there's a mindset, right? That defense always comes first, and I think that's a, that that matters to Stan Van Gundy in a very non-abstract way, because for for lack of a better way of putting this, you know, defense wins championships. Defense is what you rely on when your offense is not working. Defense is what propels you to to playoff victories. I, I think Stan has done a better job of engineering offense this year. I think, especially with the bench, the bench is, is sixth in net, in net rating this year and has a pretty good offensive rating. And I think a lot of that is due to the pieces Stan has added this offseason and you, you look at what the team was last year and Stan added players who fixed the issues that we had on the bench last year, like with with Langston Galloway, for example, and with, with Anthony Tolliver. But at the same time, he's he's still hoping that when when the defense gets better, when the defense returns, you know, from fifteenth to tenth or eighth in defensive rating, that they'll be an even better team than they are right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Speaking speaking of the the bench, we've we've mentioned the desultory play of John Luer and the you know below average play of Eric Moreland, but the bench overall, like I just said, they're six in net rating in the league uh, as of today. So, Ben, who do you who do you think the most impactful player on the bench has been so far? Yeah, see, like I want to say Galloway right away, but he's not playing enough minutes, right? And some of that's because Stanley Johnson has been playing well. And we haven't talked about Stanley at all. I think you mentioned this last week, Laz. If you throw out the Charlotte game, he actually looks really, really good. And that's the case. He's he's making shots, and he's making three-point shots. And his defense remains very, very good. So I want to say Galloway, but I think I sort of default to Tolliver because he has some really memorable defensive moments so far. And I think, you know, we talk about the Tolliver effect and the Tollivers and all that kind of stuff on the blog. To me, Tolliver really is having that impact defensively. He he brings it and he brings people along with him. He's he's very enthusiastic. He he demands a lot from his teammates, but he does it by leading rather than telling. So to me, I want to say Galloway, but the minutes haven't been there. Uh, to me, it's Tolliver right now. Sean, same question. Uh, I think it's I would say Ish Smith. I've been really happy with Ish off the bench this season. I think sort of my theme for the night is players setting a tone, and I really think that's what Ish is doing off the bench. He gets in there, he settles the team down, he establishes a pace that facilitates ball movement, that facilitates pressure, that facilitates running, and that bench unit that runs with him is taking advantage. I think he's sort of the straw that stirs that drink a little bit, and Sometimes it's hard to take him off the floor because he's just getting what he wants on the offensive end, 
not that he's an elite offensive player, but knowing his offensive limitations, the fact that he's able to achieve as much as he does on the offensive end this season and be such a meaningful player for the Pistons has been a really big surprise for me. And I think a lot of that bench production goes credit to Ish Smith. And the other thing that's important about Ish is that of the starters, Reggie Jackson plays the fewest minutes. He's just over 28 minutes a game. Everyone else is over 30 in the starting lineup. So the fact that Ish is playing well is is allowing Van Gundy to sort of bring Reggie along slowly as opposed to, you know, thrusting him back into huge minutes before he's ready like we saw a season ago. Yeah, and to the – I looked up Stanley Johnson's stats excluding that first game. That was so bad. And he's actually third on the team in true shooting percentage at 59.9. But shockingly, Ish Smith in the last nine games has a true shooting percentage of 56.3, which is A, unsustainable, but B, shockingly effective. I will say that I'm frustrated that A, Sean stole my guy, and that B, Ben stole my point about how <laughs> you gotta get in there yeah no about how uh he plays he plays more minutes than anybody else on the bench and he allows stan to bring reggie along slowly so oh man you guys are just way smarter than me in thinking about it and you get to talk first that makes me sad <laughs> well in sean you brought up an interesting point too about sustainability of issues shooting there's a handful of guys where there's still some question marks about how sustainable the shooting is. And one of the things I was thinking about today as I was prepping for the podcast is this has been a really fun 10 game opening stretch, right? Like they're outperforming, I think even the most optimistic projections, but at some point this is going to be the team that has like a five or seven game stretch where things are brutal because everyone's going to miss shots all at once, right? Like that's just bound to happen. That's the way SVG's rosters have been the last three seasons. And I hope when that happens, you know, from the perspective of a fan, I hope the fans keep that in mind. It, it's not going to be a doomsday scenario when that five or seven game stretch happens. And, and what I really hope from, from the players on the team is that their approach to the game remains the same through a shooting stretch. That's, that's cold, right? Like, I talked about the way Andre Drummond is approaching the game. I talked the way Tolliver and Galloway, those guys are approaching their roles, I think, very professionally and with a lot of maturity. Same for Stanley Johnson, I think. He's a guy we haven't talked about, but man, does he look like a different player this season, especially when he's knocking down shots. I hope that all of those guys continue to approach the game the same way when the shots stop falling for a stretch. And I think when that happens, like the first bit of adversity this team faces especially around shooting the basketball is going to tell us a lot about how far they can go. And as much as I don't want it to happen, like I think it's bound to happen because some of these guys are just shooting out of their minds right now. So I think look for that as a fan, be prepared for that when it happens. And I think we can learn a few things about several of the guys and, and really the team as a whole. Well, I think a large part of why you can expect something like that to happen is that there's this is a team full of jump shooters, right? There's, yeah. there's not too many guys on this team that do a great job of creating their own offense. Reggie, when he's on, can be a, a, a type of player that's like that. Uh, Tobias, if he, if he receives the ball enough, can be that type of player. But, but when you look up and down the roster, that's, that's pretty much the only option if, if the team goes cold. And so you'll definitely see stretches like that, I think, Ben. And that's why I think Stan harps on defense. As, that's part of why I think Stan harps on defense as well, because he, he sees what kind of team he has, and he realizes that for those stretches, you're going to need to defend your butts off. And 
And so keeping that mentality, keeping defense first in your mind will help you mentally persevere through those times uh, when the offense isn't going so well. Yeah, and just to heap some more praise on Stanley Johnson, we were talking about Avery Bradley earlier and sort of giving a lot of credit for the Pistons' defensive intensity to Avery, but part of me really thinks the guy that sets that tone in the starting lineup is Stanley Johnson, even as young as he is. He's the guy that gets in everybody's face. He's always talking to people. He really won me over when he told Andre to shut the fuck up. I mean, I like Andre as much as anyone, but just the fact that he was able to get into the most important person's face and give him a little reality check kind of won won my heart a little bit. And he really provides all kinds of defensive pressure in, in a lot of different ways that this team really needs. And when that shot's not falling for Stanley or for others... They are going to need Stanley Johnson's defense and that intensity, and it's it needs to spread throughout that roster. And the defensive pressure that the Pistons are playing right now is, is happening throughout the roster. It's not just one or two guys, but I think it's because Stanley Johnson's being more assertive, Avery Bradley's being more assertive, and I think it's rubbing off on some other players. So we've talked around Stanley Johnson a little bit, but there is one kind of one thing that we didn't really bring up, and that's that he, he only played 23 minutes against Sacramento, and he was held out of the second half because of a sore right hip flexor. He is a quote-unquote day-to-day. Are you guys worried at all about Stanley? So to me, it seems at least partially related to the back injury, the minor back injury that he played with during the preseason. And we're, we're seeing with, with IT, with uh, Isaiah Thomas, that hips aren't exactly something you, you really mess with injury wise you, you kind of have to let those rest and heal they don't get a lot of blood flow uh, surgery's not guaranteed to to fix everything uh, we've talked about how important of a player stanley is ben are you are you worried that this hip thing is going is going to bother him long term no because if it's just described as a hip flexor like a hip flexor is not a serious thing it's just soreness but hip flexors only get better through rest and and physical therapy so a hip flexor is something you can play through if you have to so it doesn't it doesn't concern me unless it starts to get described more seriously i mean mean, hip flexor is just not it's like tendonitis it's not a huge deal i don't know man we have a poor history with tendonitis yeah i i don't think they were very upfront and honest about what was going on with reggie jackson right like Obviously, it was more serious than tendonitis. That's degenerative tendinosis. That's why I say hopefully it's just a hip flexor. Like, if that's an accurate description of the issue, I'm not worried. Sean, you worried at all? Uh, Not really. I think it actually goes, speaks to a point that you brought up early in the podcast, Laz, and that's that the depth of this team is really allowing Stan Van Gundy not to put players on the floor when they're less than 100%. I think you might even be a little more cautious with a player like Stanley Johnson who has so far an NBA history of not being very productive. He's he's finally doing everything he wants to do on the court. He's succeeding. He's in a good place mentally. I would be very cautious with his where his body's at physically just because he doesn't have the purest form. It's not like he's going to instantly be hitting 40% from three even if he's a little banged up. Like, I don't want those mechanics to get any more out of whack. I want him to be 100% and performing and hitting those open shots and, and playing hard defense. So if he's not, if he's 70, 
and you have a deep bench, you have other wings that you can put on the floor that you have confidence in, just hold them out and let them get right. I, I think I agree with that. That allows you to get a look at a guy like a, a Luke Kennard if if Stan holds him out, which I don't think he will because he's Stan. But that's pretty much everything I had to go over tonight. Uh, do you gentlemen have anything that you, you want to talk about really quickly before we end the podcast? Well, you mentioned Kennard. His numbers aren't great, but I think he looks, like if you're just using the eye text, he looks really comfortable offensively. And he looks, how to say this, not terrible defensively. So, like, I'm optimistic about Kennard. I, I like his, his. I guess the, the way to say it is he's got really high IQ offensively. He knows where to be. He's a good passer. He understands what's happening offensively. And, and those are good signs. I think there's reasons to be optimistic about Luke Kennard. He definitely doesn't look like, look like the game is too fast for him. He looks like he knows where he's supposed to be. Well, like, think about, you know, Stanley Johnson a season ago, who and John Luer this season, guys who look like they've lost all of their confidence, who look completely lost in their role. And obviously Stanley's the opposite of that this season. Kennard doesn't have any of that in his game, and I think that's a good thing. He's very confident, and I think he's got some good reasons to be. Whenever I see him play some serious minutes, the thing that I like the most, and who knows how much we'll be able to see it this year because he's a rookie, but when he's handling the ball, he can survey the floor really well, and he has a, a nice handle, a nice tight handle for himself that allows him to get to whatever spot he wants. He's not going to be like a seven or eight assist guy ever, but if he knows that he wants to move six feet toward the basket to the left and then bank it off the glass for a a high percentage look, that's what he's going to be able to do. And, you know, whatever he sets his mind to getting himself, he looks like he's able to get it done. And, And that's that kind of headiness is good because he has those physical limitations as far as his size, his speed, and his arm length. So he's going to need to be a really kind of smart player that sees a couple steps ahead and allows him to use that good shooting stroke. And I've liked everything I've seen so far. That's that. I am in total agreement with, with all of that. I wish... Part of me is glad that the team is so deep, but part of me wishes that we could find some minutes for Luke Kennard because I feel like he'd be an effective NBA player if he got the opportunity to be so. So the the one thing I wanted to mention, uh, sorry, Les, uh, and I don't want to end it on a down note, but I do want to get people's thoughts on this. No, go for uh, it. I don't know how many more games the Pistons can win while allow it, allowing the other team to shoot so well. They've done that a few times this season. I think they're allowing like a 57% shooting percentage on defense, which would make them like, the, if you were that good on offense, you'd be like the seventh most efficient team. And that scares me a little bit, as much as they are relying on their turnovers to kind of tip the scales on defense. Do you think this is a, a blip, or do you think this is a problem that's going to kind of show itself throughout the season because of the makeup of the team personally i think some of that might be a function of the level of competition the pistons have played so far played what the the wolves the clippers the warriors the bucks i think they've they've played a bunch of really good teams so far maybe when a lot of that equalizes out and they play more of the middle to lower tier eastern conference we'll we'll see some of that but, yeah, if, if that continues, that's something that I would worry about, and that's something definitely to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, and I think for me, like, the thing about the defense over the last several years with SVG is I think we've – I'd have to look into the numbers to get real specific, but they've started strong and sort of struggled and tailed off as the end of the season. You know, over the last 20 games or so last year, I think they struggled defensively quite a bit. My hope is that you see a little bit of the opposite of that trend because there's really nothing about the personnel or the coaching or the scheming that – says to me that they're a worse defensive team. I think it's good to point out that they've played some very talented teams offensively, but at the same time, you know, like they've, they've let some things get away. Like there were moments where against the Kings, for example, where they just totally lost track of what was happening defensively. And, and maybe that's a lack of focus, you know, who knows? I, I'm not worried about it yet because I, I, like I said, I don't think there's anything that's changed in terms of the scheme or the personnel that suggests they'll be worse long-term. But, you know, certainly something to keep an eye on. We're 10 games in. Maybe we reassess, you know, a week from now or two weeks from now, and the conversation is, is quite a bit different. Yeah, let's let's reassess after that Atlanta game. If they give up 110 points to Atlanta, we can definitely do some reassessing. Who are they, Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's good to hate the Cavs. So yeah. easy. It, it comes naturally, I think. But... All that said, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. You can find all three of us, Ben, Sean, and myself, at DetroitBadBoys.com. Ben, tell the people your Twitter handle and how they can best talk to you. Yeah, Twitter's the best way. I'm not as active writing on the blog right now due to dad life. Hashtag dad life. It's awesome, but man, is it time consuming. Uh, So Twitter, BRGulker. Hit me up. I love talking pistons and lots of other things, too. Sean, I know you're super busy, you know, running the site behind the scenes, serving the uh, hashtag content gods, but uh, what's the best place and what's the best way for the people to contact you? Well, you can always contact us through the Detroit Bad Boys Twitter account. I'm always active on there. My personal Twitter account, which is less active, but still trying to give it some love, is Sean, S-E-A-N underscore Corp, C-O-R-P. And always visit the site because you can always provide your two cents and help kind of steer the progress of the site going forward. All right. And, of course, I'm Laz Jackson. I'm your host. My Twitter handle is at LazChance, at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Thanks, everybody. Good night.